1: To creating a Family, talk about infertility and adoption. On today's show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Ali Domar about conquering infertility. I have long admired her work and her books, and I think you're going to love this show. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear.
2: Infertility is really hard. You know, I published a paper about 20 years ago showing that women with infertility had the same level of anxiety and depression as did women with cancer, AIDS, or heart disease. And there have been several studies since then that have shown that women with infertility express the same distress as cancer patients. So, you know, I think most people going through infertility keep on getting the message, oh, it's not that bad, suck it up. It's just, you know, you're you're being ridiculous, when in fact the urge to procreate is the strongest instinct in the animal kingdom.
1: I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We are the national infertility and adoption education and support nonprofit, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. As you probably know, we are in the midst of celebrating this show reaching the one million listener milestone. Uh, This is right in the middle, actually, of a two-week celebration. It began uh, on the 19th, and it is going to end this Saturday. October 3rd, and as part of the celebration, we are asking people to share comments about how this show or other resources provided by Creating a Family have helped them, and uh, If you share a comment, you will automatically be entered to win a raffle for one of four Amazon gift cards, a $500 card, a $250 card, and then we have two $100 uh, Amazon gift cards. So to get more information or to just, uh, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We have been all over the newsletter, as you would imagine, and you can sign up on the top right-hand side of any page of our site. Or you can go just to our website and you're going to see lots of information uh, about the celebration. Just click on those and uh, you will be taken to the page where you can uh, enter a comment. Um, and, and I should just add that the comments have, you know, we originally started this thinking that um, it, we were giving the gift cards as a gift back to our audience. But what we've found, as is so often the case, is that we have really been the, the true recipients here. Uh all of us here, you know, our staff, we're just pouring over these comments, and they I just can't tell you how much they really mean to us. Sometimes uh, we feel like you work in a vacuum, although we really don't because we have such an online, uh, huge online community. We don't often feel that way. But it really has touched us uh, to know that uh, our resources and our support have made a difference for you. So, so do us a favor and, and make our day and, and leave a comment. The Creating a Family Radio Show is underwritten, as it has been for many years now, by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring is pleased to offer their IVF Greenlight Program, which provides discounts of up to 50% on select IVF products. All cash paying patients are eligible, and unlike other programs, there are no financial requirements. To get more information, you can go to their website, IVFGreenLight.com, or of course, you can speak to your reproductive endocrinologist uh, to get more information, and they will be sure to send you that way. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not and would not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. They are a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility. With 10 offices and 21 physicians throughout New Jersey, RMA New Jersey maintains IVF delivery rates well above the national average and offers the latest and validated technical solutions to help hopeful hopeful patients increase their chances of success. We also have Manhattan Cryobank. They are dedicated to helping clients have healthy babies by analyzing a client's DNA in combination with the DNA of prospective sperm donors to provide the client with a personalized catalog of safer donor matches. In addition to the uh, wonderful goals, some of the goal sponsors we've mentioned, and we'll mention some more later in the show, uh, we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an infertility service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. And for the service provider page, it's, it's tabbed on all the pages at the top of the site. You can search by location, services provided, just a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And in relevance to today's show, I should add, since we're going to be talking about uh, mind-body uh, programs and, and alternative programs that might be helpful, that's another thing you can search by uh, if you're seeking a clinic. Do they have some of these programs? And you can do that by going to these directories on our website, uh, our infertility clinic directories on the website. Uh, and uh, when you choose, Choose one from those directories. You support those who support us, and we thank you. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Ali Domar about Conquering Infertility. Dr. Domar is a leading expert in mind-body medicine. She is the director of the Mind-Body Center for Women's Health at Boston IVF and associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive biology at Harvard Medical School. She conducts ongoing research focusing on the relationship between stress and various medical conditions, including infertility. Welcome back, Dr. Ali Domar, to Creating a Family.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Well. I have been a long time fan of your work and your books that's actually as our audience well knows because I do refer to your books not not infrequently and to ensure your research that 's certainly one of the reasons that we wanted you to be one of our two special guests for our one million listeners celebration so thank you actually for 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 helping us celebrate um. Uh, Of the books you have, I've especially loved uh, Be Happy Without Being Perfect and Healing Minds, Healthy Women. And for this interview, I reread Conquering Infertility and I I absolutely loved it. I I appreciate your writing style and I think I appreciate it because of its frankness combined with its overall warmth. So so thank you for your for your books and thank you especially as a research geek and as some and, and, and creating a family is uh tries to be the bridge between the research community and the patient community and uh I have been a have have utilized your research frequently and so I appreciate that as well um this book uh conquering infertility that that is titled conquering infertility but it 's mostly about conquering the stress of infertility. So that begs the question, what role does stress play in getting pregnant in general and, and with IVF specifically? It seems like infertility is inherently stressful, isn't it? So are the infertile just, just screwed because they need to be unstressed in order to get pregnant, but, but they have an extremely stressful disease? I mean, how do we reconcile that?
2: Well, you know, obviously IVF is somewhat stressful. So if stress eradicated the the efficacy of IVF, You know, no one would ever get pregnant. So there's not a clear clear relationship. But in effect, it's a chicken and egg question because infertility causes stress, and and stress probably contributes to infertility. So there's a reproductive um, epidemiologist, you know, say that ten times fast, at Ohio (laughs) State named Courtney Lynch, and she's done some really interesting research on sort of garden variety couples who toss away the birth control, and then she – tracks how long it takes them to get pregnant. And what she has found is the more stressed the woman is, the longer it takes them to get pregnant. So this is actually pretty cutting-edge research that shows that stress can at least delay conception. When you look at the infertility community, you know, I I like to focus a lot more on why infertility is so stressful so that people, uh, you know, experiencing infertility don't feel so bad if they're feeling anxious or depressed or angry, because in my mind, that's a totally normal reaction to infertility. So, you know, and I can go into all the reasons why, but in general, the focus should be on why infertility, um, why women going to infertility have so much stress, and it's pretty obvious why that is. It's impossible to actually tease out whether or not stress per se impacts IVF rates, because your prognosis it's going to influence both your chances of getting pregnant and your mood. So if you have, you know, a 25 year old, let's say who has blocked tubes, whose FSH is two, when she starts her IVF cycle, she knows her prognosis is excellent, and so she's probably going to start the cycle feeling far less anxious and far less depressed because she knows she's and far more going to optimistic. Chance, yeah, far more optimistic, and in all likelihood, she's going to get pregnant. Now, did she get pregnant because she was not anxious or depressed, or did she get get pregnant because, you know, she's 25? But if you have a, you know, a 42-year-old woman whose FSH is 20, if you assess her mood before an IVF cycle, you know, she knows her chances are not great. And so there's a very good chance that she's going to be anxious and depressed before she even starts her IVF cycle. So if she doesn't get pregnant... Did she not get pregnant because she was anxious or depressed, or did she not get pregnant because, you know, she's 42 and her FSH is too high? So you really can never, you know, unless we have people start an IVF cycle being completely blind to their prognosis, which is impossible, we're never going to actually know whether or not stress impacts treatment. Now, conversely, the only way to really tease out is let's just make the assumption that stress impacts outcome. And if you make that assumption, then if you help the woman learn ways to relieve stress, then she should increase her chances of getting pregnant. And that is true. A big meta-analysis came out at the end of January, um, which looked at 30-something studies where women going through infertility went through some kind of psychological intervention. And it was very clear that the women who went through an intervention had higher pregnancy rates, statistically significantly higher pregnancy rates.
1: Interesting, and you've mentioned two studies, and I will um include what I'd love to do is if you could if you have these studies, if you can send them to me, and what we will do is we'll summarize them and put them up on our we'll probably blog on it as well as putting it up on our we have a research section, an infertility research section, and we focus on things that are directly of interest to patients, both of which you just mentioned in fact, we'll probably combine them. Um, I have heard of the one that just came out in January. Um, So, yeah, if that's okay, I'll I'll try to remind myself to um, uh, send you an email um, asking for that. So what are some of the physical symptoms of stress? In other words, what should people be on the lookout for in order to know if their stress levels are getting too high, assuming that there's going to be some level of stress because of your diagnosis of being infertile. But how do we know, what, what are the physical symptoms to be on the lookout
2: for? Well, pe- people can have physical symptoms, psychological symptoms, and what we call behavioral symptoms. But in terms of physical, you know, the top ten probably are insomnia, headaches, pain, back pain, fatigue, shortness of breath, palpitations, gastrointestinal symptoms, worse PMS um and it can make menstrual symptoms worse so is that 10 i can't remember but those I tend don't know, to be, but that's good those, okay so what about tend the tend psychological the oh, you know, when women are stressed we tend to get sad when men are stressed they tend to get angry um but i can tell you when i'm really stressed out i definitely could qualify for that b word <laughs> um so i i think i think that people are different in terms of how they respond to stress. I'm going to guess that every single one of your listeners has a pretty good sense of how they feel when they're stressed. You know, the problem comes in in that when we have these physical symptoms of stress, it's our body's way of saying to us, hey, you're pushing me too hard. You need to take better care of me. But what do we do if we have insomnia or if we have headaches or we have gastrointestinal, you know, like stomach upset? We pop a pill. And so if you look at the the top 10 symptoms of stress, which I just went through, and you look at the top 10 medicines that people take, either prescription or over-the-counter, they're almost exactly 100% correlated because we don't listen to our bodies. And so we have these symptoms. You get a headache, and you stop and think, huh, I wonder if I'm feeling really stressed. I wonder if I should take a walk or meditate or, you know, talk to a friend. No, we take some acetaminophen or some ibuprofen or whatever to treat the symptoms. But when we're doing that, we are not addressing the underlying cause.
1: Yeah, and and I'm sitting here thinking through some of the other uh, common medications, you know, proton pump inhibitors, things like that.
2: Yep. Um Which
1: yeah, which would also fit directly into into what you're what you're saying. Before we get off of the symptom ones, I, we, you had mentioned behavioral ones. Behavioral symptoms as well, but you may have summed it up when you said that you know turning into the B word.
2: <laughs>
1: that may be the the primary um, uh, behavioral uh, symptom uh, that uh, that that people might have as well. So, but, but before we leave talking about the symptoms, I think it's important that we should at least address when you should seek professional help because there's the there. Um, Stress can also lead into more serious conditions, depression, and probably others as well. So, what what should we, uh, as a patient community, be aware of? From at this point, we need to get help, and we need to get it soon.
2: Well, you know, as I said, I think when someone is feeling overwhelmed, when, you know, I really trust people's gut instinct. When you know you're you're just not feeling great. It really is time to talk to someone, and and the problem is is very few people going through infertility ever seek out any sort of counseling or support or a group because they feel they can handle it themselves. And the fact is, as I mentioned earlier, the research shows that women who do some kind of intervention are significantly more likely to get pregnant. And so I truly feel that everybody, you know, one thing that I've been sort of lobbying for, and I know that there's some centers around the country that do this, is every person or couple who are doing an IVF cycle should sit down with a mental health professional, not because you're crazy or because you're too stressed or whatever, but just simply to talk about, you know, how are you doing, how are you coping, what's working for you, what's not working for you. This is what you can expect from this treatment cycle. And if you breeze through it and do great, you know, no loss. But if you're really struggling or if the cycle doesn't work and you're feeling really sad or anxious, you've met somebody, you've connected with them, you can go talk to them about how hard this is. Because I agree In Infertility is really hard. You know, I published a paper about 20 years ago showing that women with infertility had the same level of anxiety and depression as did women with cancer, AIDS, or heart disease. And there have been several studies since then that have shown that women with infertility express the same distress as cancer patients. So, you know, I think most people going through infertility keep on getting the message, oh, it's not that bad, suck it up, it's just, you know, you're you're being ridiculous, when in fact the urge to procreate is the strongest instinct in the animal kingdom. And so, of course, if you can't get pregnant, you're going to be angry and depressed and anxious. That's It's, it's an absolutely ridiculous assumption to think that people can handle this on their own because it's really hard, and men and women don't handle it the same way. And so here you have these happily married couples who then go through infertility, and, you know, the husband and wife aren't feeling the same way about it, and that causes a lot of stress. So I think everybody should check in with somebody, a mental health professional, just at once, just to have a reality check. I mean, half the time I'm saying to people, you know what, I think you're doing great. Like, I don't know if I can use the word here, so I won't, but infertility is really hard. And all the support you can get is something that you should try.
1: You want to say infertility sucks, and yes, I do. Say that.
2: Okay, thank you. Because, you know, when I was writing the book, which is now called Conquering Infertility, we were, and I say discussing in quotes, we were really fighting over what to call the book. And I remember calling my editor, and, and, like, I had one of these, like, inspiration, either in the middle of the night or in the shower, I don't remember. And I called her, and I said, I've come up with a great title for the book. And she said, what? And I said, Infertility Sucks. And there was a bit of a pause, and she goes, let's talk about your book tour. So, <laughs> so, and it it's interesting. There actually is a book out there called "Infertility Sucks." It's pretty funny. Um now I've
1: done. I think I've I've blogged with a have a blog with that title as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, there are some people who do great, who just handle it really well. whose partner, you know, and they handle it well. Who have family support. Who get, you know, I'm not saying that everybody is brought down by infertility because I spend a lot of time telling people, "Wow, I think you're handling this really well." Um, but if you're not handling it really well, it means one thing: it means you are a normal, healthy person. Because most people can't handle it.
1: Well, and and handling it well doesn't mean you're not in pain. You know, right. it, it would be nice to say that we could, you know, we we could take away the pain. We can't. And you know, one thing I was going to mention. It, one of the other reasons that people don't seek help or, or seek groups or seek group support is that there very few groups exist and and hence the beauty i mean if you're living in a major metropolitan area and even then quite frankly not all of them in fact very many of them do not have it I'd say the majority don't but you know in person support but herein comes the the beauty of online support there's been some really fascinating research published over the last ten years about how effective online support groups can be. So it's not a one-size-fit-all. Um, and the beauty of online support is that, number one, the 24-7 and the lack of you know geographic restrictions. But also, you may not know people in your immediate circle of friends currently mm-hmm. going through infertility, but I guarantee there's a couple of million on them online, and, and you can connect with some of them. So I just, and I say that as somebody who runs a moderated peer-to-peer uh, online support group, uh, which let me mention now, let me give out that, that information. Um, it, we would, uh, we welcome new members. It is an online support group. It is currently a closed group on Facebook. Uh, we uh, It's very supportive. We would love to have you join us, and you can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash creating a family or you can just type in the words creating a family in the search box and the group will pop up as well as our page so you can like the group and uh, like the page and join the group it is a closed group so you will have to apply uh not apply click join and we have to approve you before you will join and we will make sure that you have some connection to this to the world of infertility or adoption so anyway just a, a a, something to, to throw out then let me uh, we got a couple of questions um, they're both, well uh, actually there are three of them and they're quite long um, but they they all are around uh, uh, issues surrounding the holidays um, and that's particularly relevant because we are hard at work right now on a multimedia e-guide on, actually titled Surviving the Holidays Without a Child uh, a multimedia guide for those trying to conceive or adopt so Uh, and we start seeing a lot more uh, chatter, uh, and we get a lot more questions submitted to us this time of year, usually a little further. I suspect it happened now. Um, But we did a survey of, because you were going to be on the show, we did a survey a number of years ago, like two years ago, I believe, on which holidays were the most stressful. And and as you would imagine, Christmas and and Hanukkah come very, very high to the top, but in fact, I believe I have to remember now. But surprisingly, Halloween is is also a very uh, 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 stressful holiday for the infertile, or maybe not surprisingly to you, but su- surprising to others. And then Thanksgiving and, and Easter as well.
2: So I'm actually surprised. Talk, mother, I'm surprised Mother's Day wasn't wasn't in the top.
1: It. Uh, I'm not looking at the survey right. I'm not looking at our results right now. It was. Um, I believe Halloween might have been higher. Uh I'm not 100% sure I tell you what I will link to that survey in the blog tomorrow. Uh, so that we can uh so that for people who are wondering cuz I do find it um I found it really fascinating and and it made sense after I thought about it. It's it's very child focused things. But let's stop for a moment and let's talk some about the holidays. Why are the holidays in general, in general, particularly troublesome for the infertile?
2: Well, I think one is people tend to mark off time by for example Christmas. So I've had, you know, so many patients say, "Oh man, this is our second Christmas without a baby. We never thought we'd get to two Christmases and not have a baby." So I uh-huh. think that's one thing. Another is You know, these holidays focus on kids. I mean, I know that Christmas and Hanukkah are both supposed to have religious significance, but the fact is these holidays focus very much on children, as does Halloween. I mean, every five minutes your doorbell rings, and there are a bunch of little, you know, cute little witches and and whatever, you know.
1: Exactly, and Facebook is full of everybody posting pictures of their kids'
2: costume
1: and that type of stuff, yeah.
2: So, you know, you have these holidays that are totally focused on children, and so the couple going through infertility just completely left out, and that's a constant reminder. And number three, they're around family members who may not be very diplomatic. You know, you get, you know, Uncle Tony who have a couple beers in him, and he'll start saying, you know, where are the babies? Or you have, you know, your grandparents saying, or your parents saying, you know, when are you going to make me a grandparent? And so I have a lot of my patients who don't want to go home for holidays. They don't want to deal with people asking them why they don't have kids they don't want to be around their siblings who do have children. They don't want to be around pregnancy announcements, which I I think is totally normal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Amen. Is it ever totally normal? So, what are some uh what are some tips for people to handle stress during the holidays? And then and then I'm going to and then we'll talk about General handling. If there's anything in addition that's not specific to the holidays, we can we can talk about that too. But I suspect that handling stress, um, it doesn't necessarily change. You just need to be more proactive, perhaps during the holidays. So, so we we've got the holiday season is soon uh, upon us. Uh, uh, Halloween rolls right into Thanksgiving, which rolls right into Hanukkah or Christmas, and uh, so we are we are in the season. So, what can people who are um, actively trying to conceive or are struggling with trying to conceive, or I will add adopt at this point as well, what can they do uh, to handle other than you know uh, uh, book a ticket to, to, to Tahiti, which may not be a bad idea for two
2: months? I, I I've actually had a lot of patients book a ticket to something. I mean, I think yeah, you yeah, well, in fact, that st-
1: that is one that we should mention.
2: Uh, yeah. per-
1: perhaps not it's for two months, no, <laughs>
2: however. Well, I I think that you need to sort of sit back and think, okay, what about this upcoming holiday bothers me? And so, for example, if being home and having little kids ringing your doorbell on Halloween is hard for you, then, you know, I'm not kidding, put a bowl of candy on the front steps, put a sign that says, please take one, and go to the movies. I mean, you don't have to be home for Halloween or turn off your light. I mean, we have a a lot of people on our trick-or-treating route that aren't home. So you can do that. You can protect yourself. And, you know, a year or two from now when you're building your family, when you're pregnant or you've adopted, then you can hand out as much candy as you want. But there's nothing that says you can't take some time now to take care of yourself. I would say for Christmas or Hanukkah, if watching babies and kids open their presents is hard for you, then don't be there for the present opening. You know, do something as a couple in the morning and then join the family for a meal You know, you have to be self-protective. You know, people who love you are going to understand that if you can't be there, if it's too much for you, you just can't be there. Or, you know, I I saw a patient yesterday who is is a person in her life that she doesn't like at all, who's pregnant and being incredibly obnoxious about it, and is having a baby shower this weekend. And I said to my patient, man, isn't it a shame that on a Saturday morning you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have this terrible stomach bug, <laughs> and yeah. you know, and she, you know, she's not gonna go. She's gonna call and say, "I'm really sorry, I can't get out of the bathroom." And you think a pregnant woman's gonna want her nearby? Absolutely not. So there's nothing wrong with with just protecting yourself, and it, you know, for this year, however long you're going through this journey, um, to, or you know, or tell people if you feel close to family and friends, and you can say, "Look, this is just too hard for me right now."
1: All right so so one suggestion is to take off and and literally uh mm-hmm. don't show up at, at Thanksgiving you know take a schedule a, a vacation at Thanksgiving schedule a vacation and for whatever your winter holiday is if you have one uh so just just literally don't be there um and that and give yourself permission to do that uh so that's one option and, and I would add that when you are taking off and scheduling the vacation, you know, treat yourself to something that is adult-oriented in the sense of, you know, that once you if, if you are successful and hopefully you will be and and will someday have a have a family, do something that is that you're not going to be able to do with children. So right. it's uh, something to to doubly look forward to, take advantage of your childless status at this point. Um, you know, don't go to Disney World
2: or something. No, one of the, there are a lot of resorts that are couples only resorts, or you know, go to R-rated movies, or go to restaurants that are don't encourage kids. There are lots of places that couples can go.
1: Right. So, so one option for 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 um, people who are struggling it, over the holidays is just to take off.
2: What are it, assuming that? Add, the, by the way, that if if you're a single woman, you know there are other things that you can do. There are. There are adult single cruises. There are lots of places. It's not just if you're a couple that you can take off. If you're a single woman going through infertility, there are places where you can go, or if you have a friend who's going through infertility, the two of you go off together somewhere. You don't have to be alone on the holiday.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. So uh, one option is to take off what are some other things let's say that either you can't you can't afford to take a vacation for every holiday and or uh for whatever reason that's not something you're uh i will say that one of the kind of one of the cruelties uh one of the many cruelties associated with or one of the many things that makes infertility suck is trying to save money because they're paying out of pocket for their right. expenses and so um i had somebody uh uh, we have recommended this before about taking a vacation and, and she sent an email and I thought it was, or I left a comment on the blog, I can't remember which, but it was it was well pointed and she said, you know, that sounds all fine and good, but here's the reality. Every penny that we save is, is increasing our odds of, right. of getting pregnant or if if that's not successful, adopting. So, you know, you, can do, it, you can do a
2: staycation. You can do a staycation. You know, you don't have to be with your family on these holidays. The two of you can come up with special things that are just the two of you you can celebrate christmas at home the two of you start your own traditions you know go through each of your family traditions choose the ones you like and start you know start the ones that that you want to have so you don't have to go someplace you can stay home and you know eat ice cream sundaes for breakfast if that's what you want to do you know another
1: option that um i think really feels good to a lot of people is to choose that time to give back um if you are helping others in some way it is harder to be self-focused and 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 feel sorry for yourself and i'm not in any way being critical because i think that there's a time for feeling sorry for yourself and infertility is certainly that time but um a lot of like uh, homeless shelters are actively seeking people to volunteer during that time. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of things, yep. soup kitchens, um, things like that that are uh, actually, it's a huge need for most of them to find people who can do, Absolutely. Who volunteer over the holidays. So that's a thought.
2: And being uh, with people less fortunate than you makes you feel better about yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, and I felt bad saying that because it, it seems like you're uh, you, well, we should give for other reasons, but the truth is it does it does it takes your mind off yourself and you do end
2: up feeling right. better.
1: That's right. Yeah, Exactly. It, it doesn't sound like that's a very um, altruistic way of putting it, but it's
2: No, but it, it, it there's a lot of research to show that people who volunteer feel a lot a much less anxious and depressed because they feel better yeah. about themselves.
1: Yeah. And I guarantee there are a lot of opportunities um it, you know, it might be animal shelter. It might be just you, know, you find what is appealing to you, what you care about, and uh, and uh, and specifically set up time during the holiday season. And it gives you an excuse for um, bypassing some of the events that you don't want to go to. You can right. say without lying. You can actually say, I'm yep. busy. So let's say that uh, all these ideas sound good, but yet, you would be very sad if you didn't partake of the holidays with some of your family. So you want you want to be involved in some portion of the of the holidays. What then? You don't want to you don't want to just uh, uh, either staycation or vacation uh, the whole time away or can't afford to. So what are the um, what are some thoughts too about how to survive the family gathering aspect of the holidays?
2: Well, you know, one is is just to be aware that you can go take a nap, you can take a walk, you can get away from the chaos. The other is, you know, what I tell my patients is I want you to think about the things that people say to you that really bug you and come up, memorize some snappy comeback lines. Because I know for me, I was doing an event a couple weeks ago and someone asked me a really very nasty question or she responded in a very nasty way. And literally the next day I thought, Ah, this is how I should have responded to <laughs> I, know. I don't I don't think on my feet, especially if someone's nasty to me, I'm usually caught way off guard and I don't me know too. how to handle it. And it's but if you know the comments so I'm actually going to another event in a few weeks and the same person's gonna be in the audience, I know that. And so I'm already memorizing some snappy comeback lines. So if she says, you know, A, I know what to how to answer her that may you know Make me look a little more competent and assertive, um but I think when you're going through infertility, you know what people say that bugs you, like you know one of the two of you gonna you know give me some grandchildren or it you know whatever it is, you know, and think of the snappy comeback lines, and the snappy comeback lines that you memorize can be informative, they can be you know educational, they can be humorous, like you know we're waiting to see how the dog turns out. Um, or they can sort of zap the person back. You know, we're having so much fun practicing that you know, we yes. haven't done it in every room yet. You know, that'll shock shock Aunt Esther, you know. <laughs> um and then that'll shut her up. So it I'm depends
1: going on to... go ahead.
2: You know, I think it depends on who's asking the question and how the question's being asked. But I would memorize a variety of answers so that you always feel prepared and we can help with that.
1: We uh had a contest a few years ago for exactly that or maybe it was last year. Uh snappy compact lines to when are you going to have kids was the question that we uh asked. So, we had a huge response and uh we I think there's 10 uh real answers which kind of cover the the gambit of of um of polite to uh trying to put them in your place. But then we had so many really hilarious snarky ones that we did a separate one uh for snarky uh comebacks not that we're necessarily encouraging um although <laughs> you, you, there there are certainly some people perhaps a person in your audience would have deserved a um one of the snarky ones but we will i will link to um, these in the blog tomorrow, uh, the um, both the the, the real uh, comebacks that you, as well as the, the the snarky comebacks. So yes, having that, having something in your back pocket that you can pull out to answer the questions, um, you know, is is immensely helpful. All right. So and then and then you also mentioned. Um, taking a break. You don't have to uh, be, you know, the kitchen needs to be cleaned, so, you know, you might want to go in there uh, and score brownie points, uh, uh, cleaning up the uh, noontime meal so that you can go to bed early, so that you don't have to clean up the evening meal, that type of thing, or taking a, uh, a walk with your uh, husband or your um, or your mom if she's a supportive person. So, yes, so taking a break. Any other thoughts for you're your going to be around family or you're choosing to be around family? Um, snappy comebacks is one of them. Any other thoughts on how to handle that stress that is is in, just inherent in these type of gatherings when you're in person? You, you can
2: you can do pre preemptive work and basically send an email out to people who are going to be there, or ask your mom to do it and to say, you know what, please don't ask us about our family building plans. You know, I've actually had events like that where someone has emailed ahead of time saying, please don't talk about it, or please don't wear perfume or whatever. You know, and I think that if you feel comfortable doing that, it's 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 preventive, it's prophylactic. You're keeping people from asking you about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing
2: wrong with being assertive and protecting yourself during this crisis.
1: And there's a difference between being assertive and being aggressive. And and sometimes our audience, uh, not our audience, I mean your audience, whoever you're sending the the family members you're sending this to, uh, might mistaken assertiveness for aggressiveness. But you don't need to do that. You don't have to play. No, anything. you don't need
2: to be nasty. You don't need to say, you know, and Esther, you're you're a B word for asking me this. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying,
1: yeah, simply exactly.
2: be assertive. Just saying, this is a really hard time for us. We don't want to talk about it.
1: Yeah that's yes and and just being honest with your struggles but what about people who are hesitant to be honest is is this a time they need to get over that they need to a lot no, of people no no
2: no i think people, a lot of people have it,
1: never told anyone in their family and
2: that's okay you know what that's okay there are a lot of people that have never told anybody in their family because they feel this is very private they don't want to talk about it you know i think you you tend to see that a lot if it's male factor You know, men don't want to talk about what's going on, and that's okay. If that's the decision the two of you have made, and you're both comfortable with that, then you know you can just sidestep the issue and say, you know, say whatever you want. I don't think you owe an explanation to anybody. So if you don't want to tell people, you don't have to. And you know, the fact is, you know, to tell or not to tell is it's like an age-old question. Do you tell your boss? Do you tell your friends? Do you tell your family? Because if if you tell them, then you're leaving yourself open to comments and suggestions. And if you don't tell them, they wonder what the heck is wrong with you. And it's the same thing that my patients, when they get pregnant, say, do I tell before the end of the first trimester? And it's a tough call because if you tell and then you have a miscarriage and you have to tell everybody you've had a miscarriage. On the other hand, if you don't tell and have a miscarriage, you need to then tell people you just miscarried. You'll catch them off guard, and you probably won't get the kind of support you need. So, or
1: people don't tell anyone they've had a miscarriage, but then they they don't have the community support for for grieving. Uh, and and there's something to say for although you may not get it with a miscarriage, but uh, assuming you would get that, there's something to say for um, letting people know that you are in pain and that you've experienced a loss. Right. It is. It's a but real catch twenty
2: two. If you don't tell people you're pregnant, and then, oh, by the way, I just miscarried, I don't think they're going to pull themselves together versus if they know you're pregnant and then you tell them you've miscarried. I think then it becomes yeah, much more real for them. I mean, I'm yeah. a believer, you know, I'm a, maybe because I'm a shrink, I'm a much more open person, but I, in fact, had a miscarriage of my second pregnancy. And I told everybody I was pregnant as soon as I found out, and then I had a miscarriage. And I was shocked not only how much support I got, but how many of my friends told me they had had a miscarriage which I had not known before.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's a real common reaction, and and it's a common reaction with infertility as well. When people, I'm not saying everyone has this experience, but when people open up uh, that they are, are are not getting pregnant and they want to, I mean, even if they don't go into the, the specifics of their personality. Um, many times they're they're surprised by the number of people who come forward and say, even your old Ann Esther or whatever about mm-hmm. that uh, that that they too um, it took them a long time to get pregnant, um, or, or struggle with infertility, or went through IVF or something like that. And uh, it's um, I've seen that happen, and it's then you feel less alone. But
2: as you say, well, yeah, look, look at your family tree. You know, if there are any couples who never had kids? and it's more than 20 or 30 years ago, there's a very good chance they had infertility. I remember talking to my best friend from growing up, and like in mid-sentence we were discussing some of our neighbors, and I thought, oh, my gosh, those two couples never had kids. They must have had infertility. (laughs) And as a kid, you don't think about this. But now, you know, you think, wait a minute. You know, they used to hang out with our neighbor kids all the time. They were probably craving some kind of connection with children. But, yeah, if you the aunts or uncles, you know I remember my my husband was at a family tree, and he realized he had had like three or four great aunts or uncles who never had kids, and I'm like, wow, you know, there was some infertility there,
1: yep, yeah, 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 it's interesting, and we don't think about that i as you were saying that I was mentally going through my family tree <laughs>
2: was,
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, um, and so. It, the reality is there are going to be some people in our family who just aren't going to get it um or maybe i mean i i i can hope that that is not the case but but chances are good in most families there are people who just don't get it um and other than just avoiding those people or and, and uh and allowing those who who do get it and are supportive to help run interference any thoughts on how to deal with those people
2: Well, I think one thing that people don't really think about is sibling rivalry never dies. And so if a sibling has the first grandchild, you know, and they're feeling very competitive with you and very victorious and feel like to shove it in your face, um, I think that is something just you're going to have to figure your way around. I mean, I've seen it firsthand that a younger sibling has the first grandchild and is extremely insensitive to their older sibling going through infertility. and like, ha, ha, I had the first kid, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is is that nice behavior? Absolutely not. Is it appropriate? Absolutely not. Should the couple going through infertility feel extremely hurt and betrayed? Yes. Um, Unfortunately, that's the way families are. And the, the fact is, you know, what can you do to protect yourself? Can you avoid family events? Can you see your parents separately from your siblings? However you need to work it. But people behave badly. People are competitive. People are insensitive. You know a lot of people feel like infertility is is not a big deal, and you know you can either educate or you can avoid
1: yep yeah, okay, that's good so yeah <laughs> and and both are okay uh and there's some people who avoidance is just simply gonna be the the preferred route. you know another uh thing that you're a big believer in, and so am I, and that is self care um where does self care come in in particular during the holidays? Uh, and the stress of going through the holidays, um, desperately wanting a child and not having one.
2: Well, you need to sort of sit back again and think, what about the holidays it really pushes my buttons? You know, don't go to the mall on Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because you're going to see a zillion kids sitting in line waiting to see Santa. Go shopping at 8 or 9 at night, you know, where you're not going to see children. Um, if you have a lot of young kids to buy stuff for, don't walk into Babies The Us or Toys the Us. You know, go online, go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or whatever and buy each kid a bunch of books that you liked when you were a kid. You know, avoid you know putting yourself through the pain of having to be in one of these baby stores. Um, you know, again, if present opening is something that really bothers you, don't show up for present opening. Show up for the meal. You know, bring a bottle of wine. You know, do what it takes to help yourself through it. I can't tell somebody... What pushes their buttons during the holidays? You need to think about what it is that bugs you and, and basically figure out an escape route. And it's not going to be forever. It's not like you're going to miss present opening for the next 50 years. You're going to miss present opening, you know, until you have a family of your own. And then you're going to dive in just like everybody else. Mhm.
1: Yeah. One of the things you talk about uh in the book. Oh, hang on a minute. Let me. Uh, before I do that, I need to uh, mention another uh, something with, uh, that we're going to be talking about. If you have been touched and have been helped by creating a family, this show, or our uh, one of our many many resources that we have on our website, creatingafamily.org, or our online support community, uh, or any of our online networks, we would ask that you make a donation to help support uh, our organization. Um we are a non profit and we rely on uh those people whom we've helped to uh keep us afloat and allow us to keep on keeping on so to speak uh we're currently in the midst of an appeal uh, in honor of our one million uh, reaching the one million listeners uh milestone for this show. We need help reaching the next one million and we'd like for you to be a part of that uh there you can uh, pay online via credit card or you can mail us that we are a uh open opportunity, we'll take your money any way we can get it. So you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org. At the top, uh, there's a tab for Donate. Click on that, and it will take you to our Donate page, and we will be most appreciative of, of that. Um, now, back to our interview with Dr. Ali Domar. We're talking about conquering infertility. One of the things that I was thankful to see that you covered in the book Conquering Infertility is the financial stress caused by infertility and its treatment. The I think you referred to it as the business of infertility, which I like, because it is a necessary evil, but for many people, uh, in fact, the majority of people, uh, infertility treatment is uh, does create financial stress. Um, let's talk some about that and, and ways that uh, people can uh, handle the financial aspect and the business aspect and the stress caused by infertility associated with the, the financial and business aspects.
2: Well, there's an old saying amongst therapists that the top three reasons couples fight are money, sex, and kids. And infertility encompasses all three, Um You know, especially, you know, most couples going through infertility tend to be younger. They tend to be relatively newly married, and a lot of them don't have financial security. And, you know, infertility treatment's expensive. It's very hard to walk into an IVF cycle knowing that this could cost you $15,000 and it has maybe, what, a 35% chance of giving you a baby. And you may not agree about what treatment to have. You may not agree how many cycles to undergo. One of you may want to save for adoption or egg donation, um so it 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 can cause a lot of friction and again you know I'm not here to to give plugs to mental health professionals but I think if you're disagreeing about money then you need to sit down with sort of a third uh, an impartial third party to help you figure out what your plans are I've seen lots of couples go into debt and you know I'm a big believer in you know begging to parents <laughs> now go to your parents like how much do you want to be grandparents you need to pony up some money here if either of your parents have any financial resources, then I don't see any reason why you can't ask them to help you out. I mean, most parents are highly motivated to become grandparents. I have a patient I'm still struggling with who have, has a very, very wealthy sibling. Um, my patient can't afford to undergo treatment, and she's just feeling way too shy and hesitant to talk to her sibling about, you know, giving her some money, and in fact the sibling is so well off, the money for a cycle won't touch this person's and yet my patient just feels too shy about doing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very frustrating for me because, you know, I would think most family members, if they have enormous resources, would not mind helping somebody out to have well-deserved medical treatment. But, you know, you do have to be careful. We had a couple years ago who didn't have the money for a cycle and went to both sets of parents. Both sets of parents had resources, so they either set of parents could pay for the cycle. So one set of parents refused, and the other set of parents gave the couple the money to do an IVF cycle. And, in fact, the cycle worked and they got pregnant. Well, lo and behold, the parents who had given the money maintained that they should have more contact with the baby than the other set of grandparents because they had paid for it. And Mm -hmm. so that was clearly an unforeseen complication. And, you know, it was a little messy for a while.
1: Borrowing money is rife with unforeseen Mm -hmm. consequences. It's something... To be very aware of. Let me put in a plug too for. I think that if you are asking uh, for money from a family member, I think it really helps if you have are already on a plan for saving money yourself. And we did a show uh, last year uh, with the with uh, uh, Dave Ramsey and the. the, the, the he has a program and it's a really strong and a really well set up program for how you can get control of your finances and in specific how you can save money for something. And um I will try I'll remember to link to this in the blog as well. It's a it's a great show and uh and even if you are going to be uh borrowing money and asking for money for family, it's a good Good program to think through. Get control of your budget and actively work towards savings. Because if nothing else, it may up your odds of people wanting to lend you money.
2: Or yeah, you know, I wasn't even thinking about lending money. I was thinking about parents giving you money. I meant, I meant
1: when I said that, I thought about it. I yeah. don't mean yeah. lending you, but giving you yeah. money, right?
2: Because the last thing a couple needs if they get pregnant is to have yes, oh fifteen thousand. Because you know what, your expenses just go straight up once you have a baby. So exactly, And, again, if your parents don't have resources, obviously that's it's not fair to ask them. But if your parents do have resources, then, you know, people are always hesitant to ask. But it's not like you're asking for money so you can go to Paris for the weekend. You're asking for medical treatment to increase your chances of building a family.
1: Mhm. But you do need to be prepared for them not giving you the money and, and the impact that that might have. Because one of the things we aren't – we don't always know – uh we assume that our parents have the resources but we don't know if they they feel like they do or they we don't know uh, where they're at as far as their savings for their retirement and their financial security and stuff and, and some people just don't believe in giving money so whatever reason yes. we have to be prepared um to and I've, had, uh, and
2: I've had patients in fact in that situation where you know their parents were taking luxurious vacations and driving beautiful cars and then yet when my patients asked for money the parents said, actually we we basically spend everything that comes in. Yeah. And you know, did that hurt my patients feeling? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do I think that the parents could have spent their money in wiser ways? Yes, but that was like, yeah. the parents money and it's their decision.
1: Right. And that's the and that is and that but that's hard. Uh it is the parents money and it is their decision, but uh it's hard not to be hurt and, and you've got to you know think through but yeah. But I would I'm with you. I would certainly think that um, there. Are, if you, I guess you could take the approach that says if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. So you are I, listening. I've had,
2: patients, I've had patients get money from obscure places like they're great on Esther. You know, if you if you need money for treatment, you know, make sure family members know because people might have stuff squirreled away you don't know about.
1: That's yeah. That's true. And. And 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 you can always you just need to as long as you know that the answer might be no, uh and you can consciously be proactive in trying to not let that affect your relationship. But uh your great honest or might very well uh want to, to lend money to what a worthy cause. And particularly if give, if,
2: give money, not lend money, give money. Yeah, Hopefully. yeah,
1: sorry. Yes, because okay. you're right, we don't need the lending. Give money. Right. Give money to a worthy cause. You are listening to Creating a Family, and today we're talking with Dr. Ali Domar about conquering infertility. I'd like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their very generous support that we could bring you this show and all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Fairfax Cryobank. Fairfax has been a leader in sperm donation for over 20 years and is dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors, only one 200 applicants make it through the screening process to become a donor. We have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to assisted reproductive law and adoption. They include providing gestational surrogacy matching program as well as legal services for independent surrogacy, egg donation, and embryo donation. And we have nightlight christian adoptions they are a pioneer in offering embryo donation and adoption services to clients throughout the world through their snowflakes embryo adoption program they recently celebrated the birth of their 400th baby Allie, a while back you had i think it was a book or it might have been an article talking saying i think the title was six steps to conquering infertility um so what are the six steps uh that to conquer infertility
2: it was actually, I think it was Six Steps to Increasing Fertility. Um, oh. It was a Harvard Medical book. Um, you know, the book came out so long ago. I think it was basically talking about there were probably five steps for male and female treatment, and the whole mind-body connection was the sixth step, and which was pretty impressive because the lead author of that book was Robert Barbieri, who is a is the chairman of OBGYN at Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is one of the biggest Harvard teaching hospitals, and he's an infertility specialist, and he invited me to be one of the co-authors of the book. So it's pretty impressive that Harvard Medical School, you know, recognized the mind-body connection
1: yeah, as way being,
2: back. As, way back even as being a really crucial aspect of infertility treatment. You can't ignore the mind, and it goes back to, you know, stress clearly hampers treatment outcome. The fact is, we know because psychological interventions are associated with significant increases pregnancy rates so i i think everybody going through infertility should be doing something and even if it's you know doing yoga or taking mindful walks they should be doing something to relieve their own stress
1: and uh, while you're mentioning it let's let's list some specific things people can do you've just mentioned two of them yoga um mindful walks i'm not familiar with that i, I can imagine what it is um, it, just a plain old walk, with that count? Or no, that not, a plain,
2: in, not, not a plain old walk where you're listening to music or chatting with a friend. A mindful walk is, is, in effect, being mindful. You know, what can you hear? What can you see? What can you feel? What can you smell? Follow the cadence of your feet. Follow the cadence of your breath. Um, it's being in the moment. And the concept of mindfulness is, you know, that we are very rarely in the here and now. We're either, you know, obsessing or regretting over something in the past, or we're worried about the future. And I I think most people with infertility worry a lot about the future. Like, will I ever be happy if I don't have a biological child? Mm -hmm. So there there are lots of things. you know, one thing I wanted to mention, because you were saying that, and I was saying mind-body programs are actually very effective in decreasing distress and increasing pregnancy rates, and you were saying that a lot of your listeners don't live in a big metropolitan area that offers mind-body programs.
1: No, no, I, a, said, I said in-person support groups because I think oh, okay. more and more clinics are offering, well, I hope they are. Maybe I should, um, how many are
2: offering mind-body? That would be a good question. Not, not enough. I can tell you that, <laughs> not enough. But I have a graduate yeah. student at the University of Vermont, and she basically took my mind-body program and created an, created an online version of it. So if anybody is interested in participating, it's a randomized controlled study we're recruiting right now, and so there's a um, an email address. It's online mind at uvm. edu. So online mind body one word at uvm.edu. edu, and it's really interesting because I've been watching everybody who is enrolled in this study, and you know people are doing well. You have a fifty fifty chance of getting a free online mind body program.
1: I will link to that and and Ali something else, and we'll talk about this after the show. I, we can also. Help her recruit. We have a really extensive audience, and so we can. Um, uh, we'll put it up on our site and then link to that, and 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 might be able to help her recruit. So I'll I'll talk to you later. I'll try to remember to talk to you later about that. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so we've got. Um, you're right. So online mind body that's fascinating. Um, many clinics or some clinics do have mind body programs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, something to think about when choosing a clinic, I would add. Um, <laughs> what I'm so else? glad you
2: said that. <laughs>
1: yeah. What else? Uh uh yoga, yes. So what else can uh people do? Uh I, I some of these would fall under self care and some of these would just you know fall into just good uh, uh practices in general. So what else can people do uh well, you know, along these it, lines?
2: I split it into physical approaches and psychological approaches. So physical are relaxation techniques, mini relaxation techniques. Appropriate nutrition and moderate exercise. I mean, literally taking a walk can probably decrease your stress more than anything you can do other than maybe IV valium. Uh (laughs) Um, And then psychologically, you know, one thing we talk about is challenging automatic negative thought patterns. You know, the I will will never have a baby or I'll never be happy unless I have a baby. Social support, emotional expression, self-nurturance, and combating perfectionism. Um, any of those things are going to help you feel better. I mean, the, the thing that breaks my heart is there's so many people out there going through infertility who don't avail themselves of all the resources out there. I mean, you look at what Resolve offers. You know, on their website, there's tremendous numbers of resources. There's so much out there for people mm-hmm. going through infertility, and most of them never avail themselves of anything. And they they feel alone and afraid and miserable. And there's so much out there that can help them feel better. hmm
1: yeah, and, and and to a certain extent, it's a simply a matter of of reaching out and availing yourself of it, and and it's and it's it's, a, it's a, a smorgasbord that you can choose. Yeah, so you you feel like this is not something this specific technique is not something for me, but there may be another one that will that you should try or that you would feel more open to trying.
2: Yeah, think um, of it as a buffet. You don't have to eat everything. Eat the yeah. stuff you like. So try yeah. the stuff you think will work for you.
1: And I would say that a great place to start is with the book *Conquering Infertility*. Uh, it's by our guest, Dr. Alice Domar, as well as Alice Kelly and uh, co-authors. And so, I—I I mean, it uh, much of what we talked about today is in there. I also uh, really loved the book uh, *Be Happy Without Being Perfect*. It's not directly relevant. I mean, it's not directly specific only to infertility, but so much of the information there was—it uh, would be just very relevant to that and and actually you know what i should link to there was a show that it's when it was a very popular show um that we did uh, with you a number of years ago and it's um being happy um i think it's i think the title was like being happy while infertile uh hmm or something along those lines, and it was a, an amazingly popular show, as you would imagine, and I will uh, link to that in our uh, in our blog tomorrow as well. I've said all these things I'm going to link to. Let's see if my uh, my notes <laughs> and- <laughs> will yeah, well, well, help me. If not, you guys can uh, go to the website and search uh, and find that. And if you've enjoyed the show and you want to help us grow, do us a favor and rate this podcast on iTunes. We are the number one show uh, on iTunes for the topics of infertility and adoption, and we, uh, by far we are, and we would like to stay there. And the way... Uh, and uh, uh, iTunes knows whether to recommend us is through the rating system. It's a star rating system, although you can also leave a written comment. You can just go to iTunes and type in the words Creating a Family, and you can click on Ratings there, or you can go to the radio page of our website and click on iTunes, and it will take you there. And that's creatingafamily.org slash show. Don't forget, if you uh, have been touched in some way, and if you've listened to this show, uh, you have been touched in some way, leave us a comment and enter to win the uh, one of the four Amazon gift cards. Uh, and that's to celebrate our one millionth listener celebration, or to celebrate the, reaching the milestone of one millionth listener. Thank you so much, Dr. Dally. Dr. Dally, what was that, where would that come from, <laughs> Dr. Ali Domar, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. I am going to blog on one of the topics of this show tomorrow, so you can check it out and as well as all the things that we've mentioned that we would, uh, I'm going to be linking to that we talked about. Um, To get more information about Dr. Domar on all of her books as well as on her cutting-edge mind-body program, you can go to her website, which is domarcenter.com. That's D-O-M-A-R-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. And she's got lots of resources there for you. And thank you for joining us, and I will see you next
0: week. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...